welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. And in this episode, we'll be discussing one of my webinars, B2B Customer Journey Mapping. Yeah, it was really, really interesting, Stephen. Um, I think most people, when you talk about customer journey mapping, you probably just mentally sort of think, it, you know, it's it's B2C and don't really think too much about the B2B. And I thought one of the things that was really quite interesting in the webinar is you know there are some real similarities um in terms of how how you approach it but some real real sort of differences Uh, and i thought you brought that out very well um and perhaps just to point out well the main difference I, i i guess is the decision making unit the fact there's more than one person you know involved which sort of adds a layer of uh, of complex com- makes it more complicated <laughs> it, it does make it more complicated and it, it's interesting that because actually in a way that reveals a kind of myth that that is there in b2c research often i think because you know, if you think about how consumers actually make decisions well, we, we don't always work as individuals, do we? We're often a household or we're influenced by friends and family or, yeah. you know, they, it, we're often a, a decision-making unit in our sort of consumer lives as well. But but I suppose in, in practice, that is much more the case in a B2B relationship most of the time. That You know, there are clearly defined roles. This, this person, whoever it is, has, you know, the sign-off on the budget. This is a sort of technical expert in two or three different, you know, departments or roles within the business. And then there's people who actually use the stuff, um, who you know, probably have most, most the most accurate view of whether or not you're doing a good job, but the least actual sort of, at least on paper, the least authority. Yeah, it's very clearly there's very defined roles in that procurement. Have a role to play. Use has a role to play. Decision maker and 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 influencer. And I thought it was really quite good how you talked about snowballing and just um, making sure that you interview the right people because again I mean a big part of the webinar was seeing things from the customer's perspective and I guess making sure the decision making unit is a really good example of get that from the customer don't assume you know the decision making unit uh, as well yeah so that and to just explain that a little bit um we're talking about something called snowball sampling, which is effectively where if I've got one name on the database, I go and talk to that customer. And at the end of the interview, say, who else should I be talking to? And they'll point me down the corridor to, you know, Jeff down the corridor who, who knows about the, I don't know, the technical documents or whatever it is. Yeah. And then Jeff will point us to Susie and IT. And then you follow that trail around until, until you decide you're not learning anything new. And for me, that's the kind of guiding principle of qualitative research is you start it effectively not knowing anything or or kind of forgetting everything you think you know and learn as you go along and when you stop learning stuff then it's finished um (laughs) and that's that's kind of how qualitative research works and i think the beauty of that is is that it it overcomes the fact that databases especially i think in b2b databases don't necessarily have the right people on because they tend to have an accounts contact or or the procurement contact or whoever sort of manages the relationship from from the customer's point of view and that's one person we need to talk to but it's only one person and and it tends to miss out quite a lot of what you actually need to know about how decisions get made yeah and and all the influencers and the king or queen makers um the king or queen makers as well thought another thing that 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 you brought out um, 
very well was the whole you know it's less important what happened it's more what it meant uh, and, uh, and that probably links into your you know having to forget things and i know it's difficult sometimes with organizations because they know the process so they're trying to hear the process coming back to them and that's that's not what it's about it's what's the customer felt mm-hmm. um yeah and, and yeah just, just just expand on just expand on that a bit again yeah so i think um I'm trying to avoid the phrase perception is reality because we say it about three <laughs> no, times every episode. We, we have to say it. It's a tradition. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, it, it is from, from a customer experience point of view, the customer experience is what happens inside the customer's head and what you do, what you make or how you deliver it is, you know, it's a big part of influencing what their customer experience is, but it's, it's not, it doesn't control it directly. There's not a hundred percent sort of link. And from a, pragmatic point and that all sounds very airy fairy but so practically what that means is that if you want your customers to think that your deliveries are on time getting your deliveries on time is only two thirds of that battle (laughs) yeah Yeah. making sure customers realize that they're all on time is is at least as important and what people often take away from that is also customer surveys aren't reliable and they are they they don't tell you what your delivery performance is like they tell you what customers think of your delivery performance and that's their Absolutely, job yeah. Yeah. you've got other data that tells you whether your deliveries are performing well or not and it's pulling those two things together that is the, the, the real art of customer experience i think so we we've got our data and deliveries and we know what we do and our processes are great and all that this is what customers think and the more you can close that gap or at least understand the reasons for for why there's a gap between the two things um, the more control you have over how customers are perceiving the experience. It's always unusual at the end of a survey when when, when you present things back and customers have just got things wrong. Well, they haven't got them wrong. They aren't saying the truth as to what happened. And and I know sometimes organisations can think, oh, well, what's the point? Because, you know, we do deliver on time. Look, here's our KPI, 99.7% on time. Why are they saying it's only 50%? And then there's that little uh, moment where you go, do you know what? You actually don't have to do anything different other than communicate and make customers aware. And um, I, I picked up a really good phrase. I think it was from someone you, you, you'd you interviewed about um, customer loyalty is memory-based. And when you think of it like that, it absolutely is. And, you know, you have to, you know, we would say this a lot of time, use the same criteria that customers use to judge you. That's what you have to use. And customer loyalty is memory-based. It's not factual. <laughs> yeah, I think that was from the interview with Chris Daffy, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. It was Chris, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely true, isn't it? And and you can't win an argument with a customer is another quote that I quite like. And, and sort of writ large, there's no point arguing with your entire customer base about whether your deliveries are on time or not if they think they're not then they're going to go to your competitor even if objectively by some industry benchmark you're better than them you know it's it's what they think that matters but and and i think the really important bit is don't take away from that this kind of despair that sometimes people have like oh whatever we do however good we are customers think we're rubbish and, and give up like it's really there's there's opportunity in that gap if we can understand it so it might be about communication you know, in sort of marketing terms of going, well, did you know we've got the best deliveries in the world? It might be about more specific communication in the actual journey. So, you know, a text message that pings into your phone as soon as the delivery arrives to make sure you realise it has been delivered. Or it might be about actually our system's wrong and our deliveries aren't always on time, but our drivers are lying. Um, so, you know, there the, the can be multiple reasons for that gap. 
sometimes it's our data that's at fault, not customers' perceptions. Sometimes talk about two truths. You know, the customer has a, a truth and the supplier has a truth and both are correct. And what, mm. what you have to do is turn the two into one, which is usually just awareness, communication, understanding. Yeah, and to be honest, I sometimes say this is a trade secret. It's not really, but if, if any... You could almost guarantee any customer survey, any employee survey, communication is going to be one of the PFIs because it, it's always the answer to every problem in everywhere in any business or probably any relationship, anything involving people. Communication is where things tend to break down. So you can't do too much of it. It's almost always the thing. Well, those differences in perception that we're talking about, our truth and their truth, where does that come from? It comes from a, a lack of information being shared yeah. between the, the two perspectives. So, yeah, it, communication, getting everyone to understand things in the same way. It, yeah, it's just the answer to almost every problem. And in terms of possibly doing a little bit of myth busting, wherever I've asked questions about, you know, was the communication about right too little or too much? It being too much is never, ever, ever a problem. It's yeah. never a problem. It's one of those false things. Oh, they might get fed up of knowing where the delivery is or this or that. It's just you have to avoid the two littles. Yeah. I mean, the example I always give of that is Amazon sends you an email when they've delivered you your parcel. And you think, well, I know it's arrived. I'm holding it. <laughs> Why are you telling me this? But actually, it just makes sure. It, it? it just closes that little potential gap that you've delivered the parcel to the wrong place or... Uh, it's been picked up by a colleague and not by me or you know all those little places where things can go wrong they're just eliminating yeah. that and saying we've delivered we think we've delivered the puzzle to you so tell us if we haven't but it just brings that perception gap closer together i particularly like the bit where you talked about stretching the journey uh, uh, as well Stephen. and perhaps this is a bit more relevant to b2b than b2c because i think sometimes in b2b situations people have the have it the process that they want to measure already fixed or map or you know or already fixed in the mind and talked about before during and after and, and you know and the during is it's actually what you're feeling at that moment but you made a really good point that the before is where the, all the expectations are being set during is what you feel and then the after is 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 the memory bit and um you can see a little bit of a trap there where you go, I want to map this journey and you have your start and your finish point where you have to really pull it, pull it both ways. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, the, the sort of the, the really simple proof of that as a concept that I always give is, well, if, if stage, if step one in the journey is customer phones us up, where did they find our phone number? Like there's got to have been a yeah. step before that, um, at least one. And then when you start thinking about that, well, okay, well, how did they know of us as a place to go to to find a solution to this Direct. problem? So there's got to be a stage before that. And you can sort of keep pushing it back further and further and further. And I think what, what that does is, is so two things. First of all, it, it does show you the full customer journey. So they might arrive yeah. a bit annoyed because it was difficult to find your number. And secondly, it opens up opportunities because it, the way that that journey is going to go is being shaped right from, from the from the beginning. So the assumptions the customers made about what solution they need to their problem. This is a sort of personal opinion, really. But I, I think in a lot of B2B relationships, when they go wrong, it's because the customer thought they were buying one thing and yeah. the supplier thought they were delivering another thing. 
and the supplier works really hard to deliver this brilliant product and it and it is a really good example of thing b but the customer wanted thing a and is trying to sort of slot thing b into a, a hole that doesn't quite fit and often in that scenario, I completely agree, it might actually be the same person who's the customer who originally engaged in the organization, got told some things about what it was, and they had in the mind what what they were getting. And then they're passed on to someone else who's going to actually deliver that service or product to them. And they're going, no, this isn't what I thought I was getting. I wanted this. I was told that. Mm-hmm. Well, you shouldn't have been told that. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, and whether they were or weren't told that is irrelevant, <laughs> you know, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it often gets framed as, oh, dodgy salespeople promising the earth and then they're not delivering. But it's yeah. actually a bit more complicated than that, usually, because it's multiple people with multiple expectations and understandings of, of what this is going to be. And it's a lot more. Sometimes it's dodgy salespeople, but, but more often it's a lot more complicated than that. And there's a lot of well-intentioned people, but who are not quite on the same page end up creating this kind of what they often end up doing is inadvertently specifying an expensive bespoke solution when actually an off-the-shelf one would have done the job better and things like that so it's just sort of again it's all about communication but if you understand that early part of the journey then that opens up opportunities to make sure that you're influencing the way the journey goes um, at the earliest possible stage yeah I, i i think any process which involves handoffs to other people that's often where the moment you know is is it, it's just always worth really looking at because it's always a dangerous scenario handing off to someone else you know have they got the information the background or the subtle things that that you know that, that make the decision that make the decisions right i thought perhaps my favorite bit of the webinar and if anyone hasn't listened to it i'd really would it, it it's a very interesting sort of half an hour but i think my favorite bit was where you actually did the insight into action here's customer journey mapping in the b2b world this is how you do it and then how you link it to your service blueprints and i knew you were going to because you love service blueprints. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. but i think it shows a really good way of how you then take the customer journey link it to the onstage backstage the support processes and how you pull that all together with, with with sort of different examples and then how you bring it to life in an impactful map and and you know we often talk about cultures and winning hearts and minds but somehow something that's very very complicated that's got a customer journey mapping and all the other bits behind it when you get it into that state it really does it's like a report in a picture. Yeah, and it is in a lot of ways. Like I think a good customer journey map can summarise everything you really need to know that's in a report um, in one sort of picture. And the way I like to think about it is is that you you kind of have you know your customer journey is a is a framework, and and you can layer or build on top of that framework different sort of views or perspectives so you can have a a, a more sort of qualitative view of that journey you could have a quantitative view where you sort of layer data over it you can have that kind of internal view that a service blueprint gives you kind of how does this journey get created but the starting point is always the customer journey view that is defined by customers what this journey looks like and that sort of sets the framework that you can then build on top of yeah i think the way you pulled it together at the end is you know really made it very actionable I think just sort of a final um, question. I, I mean, customer journey mapping, both B2B and B2C, has become very popular lately. Mm. What, what do you think is driving that 
popularity, it's become a little bit of a, it, it's it's not a buzzword, that's not right, but you've got a lot, lot of people saying, I want to do customer journey mapping. You have, and I think it, I always think this is really interesting because when I first joined TLF, so that was a, in 1999, if you can believe that, <laughs> um, we were talking about customer journey mapping or customer journeys, at least, maybe not customer journey yeah. mapping, but the idea of customer journeys. I remember Nigel standing up in, in sort of seminars and drawing this, a circle of a trip to get your car repaired. Um, yeah. And all the, the sort of dots around the circle of that journey uh, and going to the supermarket and things like that. And that it was a really like it was a really obviously useful concept. And you know, it was kind of always there in our thinking about customer research, particularly sort of event-driven research, like you know, this there's a start and a finish and points yeah. along the way. And we'd often organize questionnaires around it. But the idea of of customer journey mapping kind of never really cut through from a research or an insight point of view. But what's happened in the last you know, five to 10 years, maybe, is the field of service design and design thinking have really kind of started to get hold um, in organizations, yeah. which I think is a great thing. And customer journey mapping is a big service design tool. And what I think is happening now, that is, that, well, at least what I hope is happening now, is that sort of service design and insight are, are coming together and meeting in this sort of middle ground of journey mapping. And it's a little bit confusing because in the world of service design, you have a lot of user researchers. And then in the world of, of sort of customer insight, you have a load of market researchers who are specializing in customer experience and customer insight, a bit like us. Yeah. And they're often doing the same work, but using slightly different words for what they do. Um, yeah. So I think there's there's a there's almost two parallel streams that need to come together a little bit. And, and that's just me personally. That's what I'm really interested in trying to do. Like, you know, I'm trying to learn service design to see what they can bring to the party. And I think good service designers would probably acknowledge that there's a lot of there's a lot of good research work on the other side of the, of the fence as well. There's a lot of potential for cross-pollination, I think, between service design and customer insight. Fundamentally, both looking at the same things, yeah, absolutely. just on the other yeah. side of the fence. Yeah. yeah, and I think one of the things that, that service design is really, uh, has traditionally been stronger at, I think, is, is, a, is a more, to use another buzzword, more sort of agile approach to research. So, so rather than saying, we will do a project this research project will take a month and we will do this and deliver this report it has a much more kind of embedded you know evolving style and i think that yeah. that actually is a much more effective way to approach a lot of customer journey research because i don't know how many depth interviews i'm going to need to do until i start at home and Correct, yeah <laughs> it's so i think it it is actually a I don't want to say better, but we're getting away from that from that sort of you're going to pay me 20 grand to do this report uh, sort of project yeah. model, getting to a more sort of evolving. Let's see what we need to do to get to what we need to know about the customer uh, is a much better way to go for, for everyone, I think. Yeah, well, the way those that's where success is when those two things come together. And I think you pull that out really well in the service um, blue blueprint at, at, at the end of the webinar. Okay. Well, thank you very much for listening. If you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at tlfresearch.com. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>